0: Welcome back to another episode of Wellbrick's Bookshelf. Today, we're highlighting a personal professional development book by Jim Collins called Good to Great, which focuses on the DNA and formula that good companies use to separate themselves and go from being a good company to a great company. I'm joined today by Jack Cook, who joins us on all the Bookshelf podcasts. I'm also uh, joined today by Mike and Chris, the regular host of the Well Brick podcast. I think the title's provocative. You hear or read Good to Great. If you're somebody that wants to take yourself and your performance to the next level, this is the type of book that's going to intrigue you, right, Jack? Yes, totally agree. Okay, what are some of your major takeaways from your first uh, go round with the book?
1: There's a lot of key takeaways that I at least got from the book. The first one that I got was he always mentions first who then what, when building a company, as well as staying disciplined and being humble. The last thing you want to do when you're in a leadership position, everything that you do should be for the better of the company, uh, not yourself. First, who, then what, stay disciplined. You got to confront the brutal facts of the reality. When building an
0: organization that has the potential to be great, it's all about the people. What are some of the key highlights that you learned from the book of what to look for in these people?
1: Willpower, uh, self-discipline—something that you don't have to teach. The last thing that you should do to help build a great company is having to be on someone's hip the whole time when teaching them. We all have responsibilities while running a business, and the sole—you know—the sole responsibility of one person shouldn't be teaching someone every single step of the way. Now, don't get me wrong. Obviously, you want to help, lead, and teach people but you have to be looking for people with self-discipline. Someone who has the eagerness to just strive to be a better person day in and day out. You don't hire skills, you hire
0: attributes. Now, attributes are what people were blessed with. Like you're blessed with charisma, you're blessed with good looks, you're blessed with high energy. These aren't skills. Skills are, oh, does this person know how to sell? Does this person know how to manage? Does this person know how to do X, Y, or Z? You can teach skills, but you cannot teach attributes. Just like in sports, You know, they say, hey, you can't teach speed. Something we always focused on in building great organizations was hiring attributes and teaching skills. And he talks about that in this book. The main thing he says to focus on when starting your organization is hire disciplined people. It'll start your whole cycle. And it's because time is precious. When you're trying to build a great organization, there's so many tasks to get to. You don't have time to make sure everybody's doing everything they're supposed to. Disciplined people will do what they're supposed to. They'll be where they're supposed to be, when they're supposed to be there. And that's important. When it talks about building this culture in this organization, it talks about there's different levels, right? And it starts from level one all the way up to level five. What's the breakdown of those different levels that you guys noticed? And what are some of the key things that stuck out for you about those different levels? Starting with level one is a highly capable individual. Level two is a contributing team member. Level three is a competent manager level four, effective leader, and level five is an executive, right? And it breaks it down and it pretty much categorizes these different levels. What's your takeaway from that?
1: I agree with Jim Collins. Uh, throughout the entire book, he, he mentions how when he was writing this and doing the study, he thinks that the level five leaders are very rare. But as he continues reading the book and it describes more detail, he mentions there's level five leaders all around us. We just don't recognize them because they're outcasts. A lot of level five leaders, they don't fit in, they're not the same as other people, and that's what makes a level five. A lot of the good to great companies who did not make the cut, so I should say just the good companies, they weren't necessarily level five. What's the major difference between the two? Humility. That's what Jim Collins kind of highlights in the book, is having great humility. Both of them have... Uh, great personalities that have vigorous pursuit and clear compelling visions to stimulate higher performance amongst their employees and themselves the difference is the humility amongst the leaders how does that humility come in though so w- why is humility one of those
0: key traits between a level 4 which is an effective leader and level 5 i think that was one of the biggest
2: takeaways that i took from the book is how much he talked about humility if you're overly charismatic and always thinking you're right and not listening and not creating an environment that opens you up to listen to feedback, then it it creates a, a culture that people aren't gonna come to you.
0: This one of my favorite parts of the book is the breakdown of these different levels. There's certain people that separate themselves. To me, the way you get to the top to level five is vision. They see things differently from everybody else. It's almost like there's this master plan at work that they see and others don't, like they're wearing a different set of glasses. And where humility, I believe, comes in is they see this real big picture that other people don't see. And they get that the most effective way to create this master plan big picture is by having thousands and thousands of different brushes helping to paint that masterpiece because they know they can't paint it on their own. Now, they're so talented. Normally, they could paint them a masterpiece on their own, but it wouldn't be to the scale. And if they have this big vision and they can find the disciplined people to get on their bus to match with that vision, to paint their portions of that masterpiece, it's those level five executives that pull off doing like great epic things, things that are indelible, things that last kind of the test of time. For you guys, are there people or companies
3: that exemplify they clearly had a level five in charge. I'm going to say Tesla, Elon Musk, he's got a vision of going to Mars. He's, he sees things a lot different than a lot of people. He's a he's a maniac. He'll do things that people thought was impossible, just like you were saying. His visions are literally out of this world. He wants to go to Mars,
0: so he sees things different. It's almost like level five executives have a greater imagination, and then they're able to through creating a collective effort and a culture of helping other people see pieces of their vision, they're able to take their imagination and turn it into a reality. Now, something to keep in mind, and this book talks about it, at different levels, people aren't going to see what the level five sees. They're not supposed to. All they need to do is clearly see their piece of the masterpiece. So it's almost like a puzzle that has a million pieces, and you give one of your level twos or level threes, 10 pieces, say, hey, take care of your corner of the puzzle. You're not going to know what's going on in the rest of it, but trust me. That's also another big piece to create a great organization. You have to somehow have trust and buy-in from all the people that are part of your group and that, to me, that's one of the toughest things to do. People believe the mission you're on or they don't. But I do think one of the best ways to get people to believe it is to constantly preach the mission you're on and remind people, here's why we do what we do. If you bring the right people along that you think match with your why, and you're constantly reminding, here's why we're doing this. Here's why we're doing this. Here's who we are. Here's why we're doing this. You're going to help keep people on board on that bus longer. If you forget to remind people the mission, They forget why they're putting in all that hard work and effort and they tend to fall off the bus. It happens all the time.
2: It's essentially your company's identity or almost like your brand. Your why?
0: It's your brand. So that's number one. One of the scariest things for an organization is when its leaders start to become more quiet because you need your leaders constantly preaching and sharing that mission. They should have the loudest microphones. If they're starting to get quiet, you have a problem brewing. So then that's how sometimes you can separate who the real leaders are. When shit gets tough, they don't get quiet. They actually get even louder. In the book, he talks about, are you a fox or are you a hedgehog? There are two different styles of leading. What was
1: your major takeaway between the difference of the two? I could go into a fox. Yeah, the fox is is just a, a leadership style that displays multiple characteristics and different skills and a wide variety of different assets. They can handle a lot of different things but they're not fantastic at one job while well, the hedgehog leadership style is. They focus on one big idea, they put their head down and work. I think if a bunch of small different hedgehog concepts throughout the year, quarterly, yearly, you know, whatever it may be, is a great way to run a business. I think if you can accomplish one small goal after the next, after the next, that's how you build a company, right? It's not focusing, what are we gonna do six months from now it's what am I gonna do today to get me to that goal six months from now?
0: So do you remember what my response was, Jack, when you asked me, am I a hedgehog or a fox? I do. You responded with a fox. No, I didn't, so you clearly don't remember. I said I'm a fox when I need to be a fox. I'm a hedgehog and I need to be a hedgehog. You sent me the emoji of a fox. Lion I sent you, bro, because I'm neither. <laughs> I sent you a fucking lion. You look like a fox. That's what I'm trying to tell you. So I think right. that you need to know when to be either. You need to know hedgehog puts his head down and gets really focused on a task. You need to know when to do that. It's almost blue collar. And then a fox is somebody that is more scheming and sly and thinking of everything. You need to know when to be that too. Now you can't be a fox when you're a hedgehog because you're jammed up, right? So you need to, when you're running a business as a leader, you need to know when it's time to allow yourself to get jammed up and roll your sleeves up and grind out with the squad and be a hedgehog, but you also need to allow yourself that time to step out of a hedgehog role, roll your sleeves back down, take on more of a big picture, because there's a reason you're in a leadership role. Most often, you're in a leadership role because of what's in your head, because of your your brain power, not because of your you know, horsepower. In a way,
2: you kind of disagree with him then. In the book, he said that level five leaders, like they're hedgehogs, essentially.
0: I disagree with he's trying to make it black or white.
2: He is. Well, he did. I think He said, like, level five players, they are hedgehogs.
0: I think it's great. Now, that's just me. That's the style that I've found. I think we have what our kind of default is. And I think to get to level five, probably they all have hedgehog DNA. So I don't think he's wrong there. I I don't think you get to level five unless you know how to bury your head down in a task and complete it. But once you get that high, it's really more your job to make sure you have tons of people in hedgehog mode. And to do that, you can't be in your own hedgehog mode because you don't get to lift your head up and see what other people are doing. So he makes it
1: black and white, whereas I just think it's a little more gray. That's all. That, That actually is a great transition talking about the hedgehog concept into the Scott Dale Paradox. He mentioned that throughout the book. It's a great story going along with Scott Dale Paradox in terms of keeping your eye on the vision for the long term. That's hard to do and requires tremendous amount of discipline. A lot of people, they want stuff now. They want to get stuff done now. Everything going on with the virus right now, it's hard to have a vision in the future for some people because everything's so unpredictable. But that's exactly what the Scott Dale Paradox exemplifies is not necessarily being optimistic, but going through what you need to get through and knowing it's going to end eventually, but staying persistent. You need to be aware
0: of why you're on this journey, or you can easily get discouraged by something along the way. The absolute best way to not let things on the journey discourage you is to have mentors that have been there and done that because they know what it's like. To me, it's the only way I know of, and you don't need to meet these mentors. You can read it in a book, You can read it online from people that have been there and done that. But you have to resort to turning to people that have been there and done that because they have the experience, the calluses, and the scars to show for it. And something you might be stressing over, you talk to somebody that's been there and done it that's decades in the game, they're going to laugh when you bring it up. But come on, man, you're stressing over that. Like You're going to be laughing at that in six months. I think one of the reasons Jim Collins favors hedgehogs so much is because hard work is a pretty universal language. You can see hard work and you can relate to it. The foxes being slick and sly and knowing master schemes, most people don't even know what that looks like. And when your wheels are turning, if you're a fox, probably 90% of your people looking at you, they don't know what's going on. They don't know what that looks like. So I think the hedgehog concept means you're going to have a more, relatable buy-in from your organization because they can see hard work but when you're working behind the scenes and master planning they don't understand what that looks
3: like a lot of the time and to touch on that i feel like foxes sometimes get a bad rap too because they are slick they're sly they have a higher way of thinking and those are just taboo words slick sly you don't want to be the guy that does business that's slick and sly but you do want to do business with the guy that has the thought the vision the brain power They
0: say fox in the best sense of the word. They do. Do you know what I mean? Not in the worst sense. A fox is somebody that uses his brain first, right? And being slick, being creative is a positive thing in business. That's a better word. That's a better word than slick. Or slide. Yeah, so you just sub some of those words out. Being creative, being uh, innovative in business is huge. He talks about that in this book. Mm-hmm. He talks about innovation. One of the other things, his follow-up to this book, not to get too far off topic, is Built to Last. He segues into the companies that don't last are the ones that fail to innovate. And if you're a hedgehog, if you have your head down too much and you're not focused on the master plan of being innovative and creative,
1: your company's not going to last. You need to be able to wear both those hats. You have to use technology to accelerate momentum, not to start it. That's what he
0: says. Right. And that's when he talks about the the flywheel of automation, right? So the flywheel concept is probably the most popular one that came from this book. Jack, what was your takeaway from
1: what the flywheel concept is? The flywheel concept is something that I've actually started to learn myself over time without even hearing the flywheel concept because- I asked you a few days ago about patience and the flywheel is a combination of persevering and small little steps to increase the momentum of your business and just yourself in life, right? You need a constant push to get that flywheel going. It's a very, very heavy machine that he talks about in the book. You can't just do it with one push. You also can't do it with one extremely large push. There's not one thing that you can do to increase the speed of it. It's just a combination of constantly pushing that flywheel, uh, increasing the speed over time. And that's actually the question I want to ask you was, what do you think increases the speed faster as a leader, the hedgehog or the fox? So I disagree with Jim Collins is the problem. So you can have a
0: bunch of hedgehogs spinning a wheel, but if there's not a visionary. Who knows where the wheel's spinning to? You need that's a visionary you. in charge of your flywheel. Yeah. Now, you need hedgehogs because the flywheel concept is a little bit of progress over and over again adds up to momentum. And as long as you keep momentum, your wheel spins. If you stop the momentum,
1: your wheel stops. It requires team effort, too. You can't put all the weight of a business on your shoulders, which a lot of people like to do. I think one of the things that makes a great leader, maybe a level five leader, as opposed to a level three leader, is the ability to know where to place people on the bus. First who, then what? And then let's put them in the right seats. You can have the right people, but if they're not in the right seats, you're still not going to have that momentum on that flywheel.
0: How are you maximizing your team? That's business. Are people in the right roles to thrive? Are people being managed the right right way to thrive? Are they being given the resources in the right way to thrive? Are they in the right environment in the right way to thrive? That's what it's all about. But if you're spending any of your time thinking about do I have this person in the right position or that, and it's with the wrong person, you're wasting your time. So, the beginning of this whole process that's why it starts with the who. You need to bring on disciplined people that have good intent and their values. And authenticity, their brand matches with what you want your organization to be. If that's the case, you should invest time at nauseam to try and evaluate is this person in the right position. John Mackey with Whole Foods, he wrote a book called Conscious Capitalism. He doesn't believe in firing employees. He believes if I hired the right people and you're not thriving in your current role, I owe it to you to just put you in a different role and a different one and a different one. I'll keep doing that until we've exhausted every single role in the organization. And at that point, I think we both agree. This was just the wrong fit. But they don't fire people. That's a crazy concept. Doesn't that waste a lot
3: of time, though? Does it? I mean, essentially, it's an investment. You invested into them in the initial process. You invested into them teaching one way. Why not keep them in the company that you've already invested the time into them? The devil you know is better than the devil you don't. You keeping somebody that you've already
0: seen has good core values. Now, you never keep somebody if they have bad core values. But if you see if they have good core values, but they don't produce to the level you want in their current role, it does make a lot of sense to just reallocate who you know is a good person with good intent to a different position. Because you already invested time to find out the most important thing. Does this person's core values match with mine? So actually, I think it's saving you time rather than doubling back and every time somebody doesn't produce, hiring new people. I actually think it takes humility to say, I put you in the wrong role. My bad was to put you in a new one. What was your major takeaways from the book, Mike, when you read it? Is this your first time through also?
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, biggest one was humility.
2: Honestly, I think he talked a lot about what the main separation for level five leaders was their their ability to to show humility. And he talked about like different mechanisms. On. He gave actually action steps to create that environment that allows that humility to take place. One of the concepts he talked about was the red flag mechanism. The way he explained it, it's like if you were in a classroom, so there's a professor and he gives all the students essentially a red piece of paper that they can hold up at any
0: time it's their red flag that they it allows them to speak freely i think that shows a lot of humility the most important thing as an organizational leader is to know how your people are thinking because how they're thinking controls what work they're going to do mm-hmm. right you could be a hedgehog all day you're digging a ditch in the wrong place you're not finding the treasure so the goal is what are you thinking are you looking in the right places yeah and then are they going to put their head down and those things that's a whole nother story but what are you thinking? It's the most powerful phrase I've ever found in business. It creates humility from the beginning of that conversation. Hey, what are you thinking? Yeah. How many times did somebody go to an organization and they've never been asked that because their bosses couldn't care less? I think you know what they're
2: thinking. I think this is something that you do extremely well that I've seen. And that no matter like every level of the company, no matter what level an individual is, they can be heard.
1: The humility of a level five is being able to accept faults. Jim Collins at the end of the book literally states that you as a leader have to have the humbleness to accept your wrongdoings.
0: So Chris, for you, I know you've read it a couple times, but spaced out by years. Revisiting it years later, what was something that you caught the second go-round that maybe that first go-round you missed or something that it reminded you or brought
3: to the front of your mind? The flywheel concept, how uh, disciplined people Disciplined thought, disciplined action. It's all about discipline. And it's almost like it made me think of a bamboo growing because bamboo can take years underground before you even know it's there. And then one day it just sprouts up 30 feet tall. That's kind of like the flywheel concept. You have this patience, you're putting in the work and then one day you have that breakthrough and fucking to the moon, put in that hard work over and over, but you have to have the vision to know where you're going. And one day it's going to click. And that's when you're going to take off like a rocket. That's a really good analogy.
1: I like to take a step back and just explain to people the difference between motivation and discipline, too, because a lot of people think that if you're just motivated your entire life, you're going to be disciplined and you're going to be successful. But motivation is actually very temporary. It's a feeling. It's a feeling you get. Right. How often do people watch motivational videos, listen to music? They feel motivated for an hour, maybe just a video, and then they're done. Motivation is something that is temporary. Discipline lasts forever. So going back to what Chris was saying, if you can have that discipline to realize motivation doesn't last forever, you have to know what you have to do and not just what you want to do.
3: If you think you're always going to be motivated, it's just not going to happen. Disciplined and inspired, not motivated. Love it, Chris. Love it.
0: Good is the enemy of great. Good is the enemy of great. The title, I'm telling you, it's a provocative, scintillating title. If you walk by this and this title grabs you, it's probably because you have an itch to be great.